What are we going to do as a church? Our souls need to wake up. We need to respond to the gospel of Jesus. He said, go into the world. We don't want to deal with reality, Christian. We don't even want to deal with reality even though we've been saved from this place. I'm calling on you today in the name of Jesus to rise up to the call of God. Christ is coming back soon. If I start telling people about hell, I might just scare them off. Where are you going to scare them off to? Hell number two? People stop and think about it. If hell really exists, and it does, I didn't say that Jesus did, then don't you think people need to know about it? Can't you at least give them a fighting chance? Or are you just going to sit there and let them burn? Amen. All right. Hey, uh, check this out. Apparently uh, last week, Bill Wimberly had a rough week. Is he here, Bill? Praise God you're here because this was a rough one, okay? And it, apparently it started when he was in line at Burger King and he was in a hurry during his lunch break and this teenager was in front of him there and he was holding up the whole line and he was ranting and raving to the manager about how cold his french fries were. You know, act like a brat. And so, well, Bill, he couldn't take it anymore so he decided to set this teenager straight. He says, excuse me? <laughs> you think you got a bad french fries? Hey, listen, in my day, we never even went out to eat. In fact, the only time we went out to eat was when somebody died. It was called a potluck. And then we had no such thing as microwaves to heat up your goofball french fries. If you wanted to heat something up, we had to use a stove or build a fire. And then if we wanted something as simple as popcorn, we had to use that stupid jippy pop thing and shake it on the stove forever like an idiot and then still burn it black. And then this internet thing you guys got, we didn't have that stuff. If we wanted to know something, we had to go to the library and look it up ourselves in the card catalog. You don't even know what that is. And this email stuff, we didn't have that either. We actually had to write somebody a letter in pen, in cursive, and then you had to walk all the way across the street, put it in the mailbox, and it took a whole week to get there. And this MP3 stuff, these downloads, we didn't have that. If you wanted free music, you had to wait around all day to tape it off the radio, and then the DJ would usually talk over the beginning of it and mess the whole thing up. And you want to talk about hardships? We didn't have this fancy stuff like call waiting. If you were on the phone and somebody else called, you got a busy signal just like everybody else. And we didn't have caller ID boxes either. Uh, when the phone rang, you had no idea who it was. It could be your boss. It could be your mom, a collections agent. You didn't know. You just had to pick up the phone and take your chances. And as far as these fancy PlayStation 3D games and all those graphics, all, all we had was Atari 2600 with games like Space Invaders and Asteroids. Your guy was a little square. You had to use your imagination okay and then there was no multiple screens or levels it was just one screen forever and you can never win the game just kept getting harder and harder and faster and faster until you died just like in real life buddy and you want to talk about dangerous there was no such thing as car seats mom just threw you in the front seat and you hung on for life and there were no airbags if a car was coming your way at the last minute you get this safety arm thing across the chest and if you hit your head on the dashboard it was still your fault because you called shotgun in the first place I'm sorry, is, is my order ready? <laughs> How many guys would say Bill had a rough week there? You know what I'm saying? And praise God he's here today enjoying the freedom of doing so, okay? But uh, I don't know. But seriously, folks, uh, did you know, believe it or not, I think I've actually found a day that's probably even worse than that one, okay? And it goes something like this. See if you agree. You see, you're driving down the road here in Vegas, okay? And you're in heavy traffic. And then all of a sudden, your whole family disappears right before your eyes, right there in the car, okay? And then you notice it's happened to the other drivers in the car, in the other vehicles around you, and you're still reeling from the shock of it all, 
When, when the cars start to collide with each other as driverless vehicles start slamming into other vehicles, and so you swerve to avoid one yourself, you land in a ditch just as a plane flying overhead come out of McCarran with no pilot, smashes into a high-rise downtown, catches it on fire, just then your radio pops on with a national news report declaring that millions of people around the planet are suddenly missing. All of a sudden, you see your spouse's Bible right there on the front seat, and it dawns on you your family was right after all when they kept telling you about this rapture of the church thing, and then to your horror, you realize that you have been left behind and you will be catapulted into the seven-year tribulation that is coming upon this world. And folks, we saw before the seven-year tribulation, that is not a party. That is an outpouring of God's wrath on a wicked and rebellious planet. Jesus Christ, we saw before, said this is going to be a time of greater horror this world has ever seen or will ever see again. And that unless God shortened that time frame, the entire human race would be destroyed. But praise God, God's not just a God of wrath. He's a God of love as well. And because he loves you and I, as we saw before, he gives us so many warning signs to let us know when it's getting near. The seven-year tribulation, the second coming of Jesus Christ. And that's why we went through our study uh, called The Final Countdown. Ten signs given by God to wake us up before it's too late. If we're not saved, we need to get saved. If we are saved, you need to get motivated because this is your one shot to do something significantly, hopefully, out of love and gratefulness for Jesus. Amen? Okay? And even though that was a 50-week study, who's counting? I am, Don. A 50-week study that we finished last year sometime. Uh, so much has gone on, guys, in the last eight months or so concerning Bible prophecy. I, you know what? I better give you an update because <laughs> it's happening at such an uh, escalated rate, okay? And that's what we're going to do. There's no time to waste, so let's get into it. The first update we're going to see on the final countdown study we went through is none other than the Jewish people. The Jewish people. Okay. Now this is huge because as we saw before, one of the first and foremost, most important prophetic events on God's end time calendar is the Jewish people. In other words, if you want to know how close we're getting to the end of times, okay, then you need to pay attention to Israel. You need to pay attention to the Jewish people. Why? Because scripturally, Old Testament, New Testament, if you look at it from God's point of view, Jerusalem, Israel, is the center of the earth. This is where the line of the Messiah started. This is where King David ruled. This is where Jesus, the actual Messiah, died on the cross. This is where the end times culminate outside of Jerusalem at the Battle of Armageddon. And this is where Jesus Christ comes back at his second coming. And then he literally rules and reigns there in Jerusalem during the millennial kingdom. It's all in Jerusalem dealing with the Jewish people. And that's what we see there, okay? The Jewish people also, the Bible says, as we saw, listen will rebuild their last day's temple during this time, listen, where the actual Antichrist will actually go up into that temple and declare himself to be God, okay? That's another thing that is getting that close, even closer than it was last time we talked about it. But don't take my word for it. Uh, let's listen to God's. Open your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians 2. 2 Thessalonians 2. Okay, if you find 1 Thessalonians, what do you do? Keep going, yeah, right. Okay, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 1 through 4, dealing with the man of lawlessness, or in other words, the Antichrist. The man of lawlessness or the Antichrist. What can you expect when this guy pops back up on the scene? Well, Paul's going to tell us, okay? And uh, he's going to tell us of not just his character, but what he's going to do. Let's take a look if it has anything to do with the Jewish temple, and it does, okay? Uh, stall enough time, when you get there, say move. Move, that's right. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 says this, concerning the what? 
the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and are being gathered to him. Okay, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Oh, no, you missed it. No, 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 no. He says, don't let anybody, what, deceive you in any way. Why? Because that day is not going to come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, is revealed. He is the man doomed to destruction. Don't listen to him. Don't follow him unless you want to be doomed. He will listen. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he even goes to this point. He what? He sets himself up where? In God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Okay? And folks, we saw before, this text tells us that in the last days, the Antichrist is going up into the rebuilt Jewish temple. Halfway into the seven-year tribulation, he's going to declare himself to be God. Uh, the book of Revelation, chapter 11, as we also saw before, clearly talks about this. It's going to be a rebuilt Jewish temple. And so here's the point. Do we see any signs of the Jewish people getting ready to rebuild? Listen, it's not just rebuild a temple. This temple has to be in place for the actual Antichrist to go up into to say, hey, I'm God, and commit the abomination of desolation that Daniel talks about. Well, yeah, folks, there's all kinds of evidence. As we saw before, listen, the plans for the temple are already made. The priests have already been trained. The sacrifices have been instituted once again. The stone altar has been made, okay, for the sacrifices. The articles have been reproduced. And the ashes for a red heifer that are needed to cleanse the temple, it's all here right now. In fact, it's so much all here right now, it's sitting there waiting for the right moment to kick it into gear. They're actually putting out promotional videos saying, hey, come on, check it out. You can see it with your own eyes. Like this promotional video from the Temple Institute shares. Let's take a look at that. Jerusalem, eternal city of God. The very word is a symphony to the ear for all to whom the Bible is precious. And at the heart of Jerusalem lies its secret, the holy temple on Mount Moriah, place of the Shekhinah, the divine presence, called by Isaiah, the house of prayer for all nations. For 2,000 years, the Jewish people have prayed to return to the land of Israel, to Jerusalem, and to rebuild the Holy Temple. Today, we have returned. The city of Jerusalem is built up, a thriving, vibrant city. But what of Jerusalem's secret? What of the dream? For over two decades, the Temple Institute has been recreating the biblically appointed vessels to be used in the Holy Temple in preparation for its rebuilding. Tens of sacred vessels have been completed. These vessels and priestly garments on exhibit in the Temple Institute's Treasures of the Holy Temple exhibition in Jerusalem's Old City are not copies or replicas that are actually fit to be used according to strict biblical standards in the New Holy Temple. Original source materials such as gold, silver, and copper and the original sizes and measurements are used exclusively. Each year, 100,000 visitors come to see, learn about, and experience the promise of the Holy Temple. A visit to the Temple Institute is the highlight of a trip to Israel, for in the presence of these vessels, one can feel that the time of the redemption is indeed drawing close. The golden menorah, the golden table of the showbread, the incense altar, and tens of other sacred vessels have been painstakingly and precisely recreated. Silver trumpets, Levitical harps and lyres, are ready to be heard once again in the streets of Jerusalem. The priestly garments, including the uniform of the high priest, the ephod, 
the breastplate and the golden crown, the result of years of intense research and the efforts of Israel's finest artists and craftsmen, are on display for all to see. The Temple Institute provides specially trained guides who explain the history of the Holy Temple, the nature of the Divine Service, and the significance of the Holy Temple for all mankind. Hawaii. You know what I'm saying? And certainly don't go to North Dakota. No, not offense to that place, but uh, I've been there. It was kind of cold. Okay. But uh, don't you guys, I mean, you're going to take vacation. Why don't you just come on over? Check it out. I mean, the Jewish people are inviting us right now today. Hey, don't you want to come over? Come, come see how close we are. What's the significance there? So rebuilding the actual temple that the actual Antichrist will actually go up into and actually say, worship me, I am God. That's how close we're getting. In fact, listen to this. The Minister of Housing and Construction in Israel right now is calling for the construction of the third temple. And I came across this. Even the people, they have such a high expectations. Did you know, listen, that the landlords over there right now are preparing contracts for the arrival of the Messiah, who they believe is going to be the impetus of building this temple? Listen to this, okay? Uh, many in Jerusalem are doing rental contracts that are including an unusual stipulation that when the Messiah arrives, tenants must move out immediately so the landlord can move in and enjoy the ensuing paradise. Check this out. Many Jerusalem residents believe not only that the Messiah will return, but his arrival is imminent. So imminent that they have taken legal precautions to ensure they can return to Jerusalem immediately upon his return. Because the owners, generally religious Jews, are Jews living abroad, and they're concerned, listen, that when they arrive, the Messiah, when he arrives, he will build the third temple, turn Israel into a paradise, listen, and they will be stuck waiting for their apartment tenants' contracts to run out before they can move back. Come on, he's here. Here, I'll just let you go with your, from your lease. They're so expecting it any time now that they're going ahead and being proactive about it, putting it in the rental contracts. As soon as he gets here and builds that temple, all bets are off. I'm moving back in. That's how close they are, folks, to building this temple, okay? But that's not all. Rabbi Friedman, he is the director of the school that is right now, as we sit here this weekend, he is right now training hundreds, not dozens, he is training hundreds of priests for services in the temple. He made this interesting statement. He said, there are 10 studies about the location of the Ark of the Covenant. We read them and studied all of them and reached the conclusion that it's buried in the tunnels under the Temple Mount. Quote, when the day comes, we will get to it. In other words, nobody is going to stop us from building this temple not even financing. Did you know that they're actually working on the financing for the temple? Check this out. This is from an Ethiopian Jew. He is suing Israel's major banks because, quote, they're trying to deny him the loans to build the third holy temple. He said this. He says, when they arrived in the country in 1991, quote, we had tears in our eyes and we kissed the land when we arrived. But later we learned that the temple was not yet rebuilt. Listen to what he said. He said, but now God has revealed himself to me and placed upon me the responsibility to rebuild the temple. 
I have been collecting donations for this purpose, and I've been facing opposition uh, from authorities. The banks are not allowing me to open up accounts to receive donations, much less provide loans. So listen, he is seeking damages in the amount of $35 million, which he said will go to rebuild the temple. One way or another, whether it's through donations or they're going to get sued for uh, trying to put a stop to it, they're going to have the money for it. That's going on, folks, right now as we speak. In fact, right now as we speak, they're getting so close to it, they're even putting out not just advertisements to come on over and visit and, and check it out, see how close we are. They're actually putting out commercials saying they're that close to building a temple. Here's just one of them. Let's take a look at that. Man, no wonder Bill was so upset with that guy. You're worried about cold french fries? Are you kidding me? These guys are ready to build a temple, right? And again, what's the, what's the context? This is the actual temple that Paul prophesied. John did too in Revelation 11. Prophesied nearly 2,000 years ago. Here's what you have to have in place in order for the Antichrist to go up into to put an end to the sacrifice and say, worship me as God. They're ready to build that thing now. That's how close we're getting. And so the point for you and I, we don't know the day nor the hour, but listen, if that happens during the seven-year tribulation, and it's almost here, then how much closer is the rapture of the church which takes place prior to the seven-year tribulation? Amen? Anybody ready for some rapture practice? Okay, it's getting that close. But speaking of the Antichrist, that brings us to the, uh, the second update on the final countdown study. And that is, of course, the Antichrist himself. Okay, and the Bible is very clear. This guy obviously is, uh, you don't want to follow him. He's doomed to destruction, Paul says. But you don't want to follow this guy because the first thing he's going to do, according to the Bible, unfortunately, is he is going to slaughter two-thirds of the Jewish people. Believe it or not, as horrible as it is, folks, the world is headed for another Jewish holocaust. And that's what we saw before in the book of Zechariah. Let's take a look at that passage there. Zechariah chapter 13, verses 8 through 9. In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds, how many? Two-thirds will be struck down and perish, yet one-third will be left in it. This third, God says, I'm going to bring into the fire. I'm going to refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call upon my name. I will answer them. I will say, they are my people. And they will say, the Lord is our God. And this passage, actually, as we've seen it before, actually gives us some good news and some bad news. The good news is on the back half there, the Jewish people will eventually lose their spiritual blindness 
that Paul talks about, the temporary blindness in Romans chapter 11, and they finally get right with God. He now is our God. We got it now. But the sad news is, and the bad news is, two-thirds of them are going to be struck down by the Antichrist himself. Okay, and as we saw before, if that were to happen today, that's roughly in one shot about five million people. Another Jewish holocaust. And so the question for you and I today, the question is, is there any sign of another Jewish holocaust, a horrible event like that, ever happening again in our lifetime? I mean, come on, especially after what Hitler did wasn't that long ago in World War II. Could, could the world really fall for that in such a short amount of time? Yes, in fact, folks, this just came out uh, last week. Anti-Semitism, listen, is not just on the rise. It is approaching an all-time high around the planet once again. Let's take a look at those actual stats. And uh, this is from the Holocaust Global Awareness uh, Group. And just I want to point out a couple things from you. This graphic over here, believe it or not, it says 54%, and this is of the world, 54% of people have heard about the Holocaust. Now flip that figure around. You know what that means? For those of you hooked on math, Get the calculator. 46% of people on the planet have never heard of the Holocaust. Can you believe that? Half of the planet hasn't, almost half the planet hasn't even heard of the Holocaust. Now add to that, 32% of people who have heard about the Holocaust, the other half of the planet, 32% think it's either a myth or it's been greatly exaggerated. What? Oh, but it gets even worse. You break it down, over one-fourth of the planet right now holds anti-Semitic views Okay, and another 35% believe that Jews have too much power in the business world. It's the exact same lie that's being repeated again that happened in Germany, across the world. 75% of the worst areas say that people hate the Jews because of the way they behave. And one guy said, it is hard to believe that so much of the world is anti-Semitic. Well, I agree, it's horrible, okay, but it shouldn't be, if you will, with all due respect, too much of a shock. Because the Bible clearly says it's going to happen again in the last days. We're seeing it happen. Okay, shock or not. Okay, and some Jews see shocking similarities between pre-World War II Europe and when? Today. In other words, they admit it's being repeated on us. They should know. Okay, and in fact, in one of the countries, this, this blew my mind away. I just got this a few days ago. Uh, Greece, of all places, 69% of the population admits to anti-Jewish bias. Okay, in the whole country. That's not the half of it. Listen to this. This renewed hatred of the Jews seems to stem from a severe e economic crisis. They're getting blamed for it again. Okay? Now, the golden... Pay attention to this. this. This blew me away. The Golden Dome Party in Greece places the blame squarely on the shoulders of the Jewish people, and it's expected this year, listen, that the Greece will elect its first neo-Nazi politician, a member of the Golden Dome Party, and he will sit on the European Union Parliament. Wait a second. If you know your Bible, let's put this thing together because this is mind-blowing. Um, the Antichrist comes out of the revived Roman Empire, like a European Union thing, and he hates the Jewish people and he wants to kill two-thirds of them. I wonder if we just saw with our own eyes the actual name of the actual political party, the Golden Dawn Party, that this guy's going to be a part of. Isn't that wild? It's all happening. The Antichrist will arise, seek to kill two-thirds of the Jewish people. The planet is once again ripe for it in our lifetime, exactly like the Bible says. In fact, I kid you not, the Antichrist is also working hard at the next generation of kids that when they grow up, they're going to help pull the trigger. 
This blew me away. This is one of those moments in ministry where I'm going, I'm not alone in this office. I was excited. And that God is the one who's really doing the leading and guiding of what to study and what to preach on for us here at Sunrise. Because I kid you not, I was literally typing this information out on anti-Semitism. I'm, 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 I'm not just typing, I'm typing this part of my notes on anti-Semitism. I look over at my other laptop and in comes an email from a guy in Maine as I'm typing on the anti-Semitism. And he shared with me this video. And this video he sent me is a children's program, a children's program that is brainwashing little kids to kill all the Jews. Here's what he sent me. Let's take a look. As I'm typing on this, that comes in. Now, personally, I thought Barney was pretty bad. Okay? But that B is in a class all of his own. A children's program brainwashing the kids saying kill all the Jews, all the Jews? Good. Grow up with that attitude. Made, you, made me think this. Maybe we just saw, believe it or not, unfortunately, one of the actual kids that are going to grow up and actually take part of the Antichrist slaughter of two-thirds of the Jewish people. And again, here's the point, folks, for you and I here today. If all this happens during the seven-year tribulation, then how much closer is the rapture of the church, which takes place prior to the seven-year tribulation? We're getting that close. Okay, but that's still all. The second thing we're going to finish up today about the Antichrist is he's going to cause people to worship his image, to worship his image, and the false prophet is going to help with that deceit. Let's take a look at that passage there, Revelation chapter 13, verse 14 to 15 says this, because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, the Antichrist, he, the false prophet, deceived the inhabitants of the earth. And here's what he did. He ordered them to set up an image and honor the beast, the Antichrist, who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He seemingly came back to life. Okay. He was given power to give breath to this image of the first beast, the Antichrist, so that, listen, it could what? What could this image do? It could speak and it could cause all who refused to worship the image to what? To be killed. 
Okay, so it's not just an image. He's got to do certain things. And we saw before, this is the passage where the false prophet is going to use his deceit around the world to specifically worship the Antichrist image. Or, and if you don't, the penalty is what? You're going to die. You're going to be killed, okay? And again, it has something to do with the Antichrist death or appearing to die and things of that nature. And so you need to worship his image and honor him and what he's done, okay? But the question is, do we see any technology on the planet right now that can actually help create, listen, not just an image of the Antichrist, but an image that could talk with people, an image that could interact with people, an image that actually could, if you will, give an order to somebody's death if they don't worship like they're supposed to. Yeah. In fact, we saw before, folks, that image is called 3D hologram. And that's just one technology. I'm going to give you a couple different ones uh, today. As we saw before, these 3D holograms are not only starting to be used, but they're starting to become commonplace around the world. They're being used in news broadcasts. They're being used in concerts. They're being used in concerts of dead singers coming back to life. What's the text with the Antichrist? Now, we saw before last time with uh, Tupac Shakur, okay, he came back to life. And people were freaking out. But did you know they recently had Michael Jackson come back to life? He didn't see that. Watch this. It's all an image. Justin Timberlake may have taken home top honors, but Jennifer Lopez and... Michael Jackson How? stole the show at last night's Billboard Awards in Las Vegas. The big showstopper was this. Michael Jackson, or a hologram of Michael Jackson, just rocked the house. The late King of Pop, or the hologram of the late King of Pop, performing Slave to the Rhythm with a five-piece band and 16 live dancers. Hmm. That hologram took a half a year to plan, choreograph, and to develop. Man, that looks pretty real to me. Like he's right there. That just happened, by the way. Do you guys remember his funeral? Do you remember the response of people? Could have fooled me. It was almost like people were worshiping him. Well, hey, now we have the technology to bring him back to life again. And so maybe you can continue to worship him like you did before. Interesting. But if you think about it, if our passage is going to come to pass that we just saw about the image of the Antichrist, uh, it's, it, it's not just a technology that's going to be used on entertainers. It specifically has to be used by political leaders, okay? Because that's who he is. He is a political leader, a satanically inspired world political leader. And so that's the question. Do any political leaders around the world use this technology? Yes, they do. As we saw before, uh, 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 Prince Charles used it, but even recently, the Prime Minister of Turkey used a huge one. And the crowd went nuts over it. Let's take a look at that. Wow. Looks like people are pretty excited about that image of that political leader. It almost sounds like they were worshiping the guy or something. I'll tell you what. But, but that's not all, folks. It's, uh, uh, that's not the half of it. As we saw before, the Antichrist has a cohort. We just read the text, and that cohort is the false prophet, okay? And he goes around to seize the whole world into worshiping this image of the Antichrist. And, uh, and so that's the, the, the issue, okay? Wonder of wonders is not just the Antichrist using this technology. It's also the false prophet. Who's the false prophet? The false prophet is a world religious leader 
who deceived the planet into worshiping the Antichrist. Now, here's the point, uh, folks. Uh, can anybody guess what the new pope has been doing? You know, a world religious leader? Well, he's not only going around the world right now, and Lord willing, we'll get to that in great detail later. He's not only going around the world right now as we speak, forming a one-world religion, okay? But he's also using the same technology to make these global religious broadcasts, even in 3D. Check this out. On the 27th of April, the whole world will meet in Rome in St. Peter's Square to canonize the most beloved popes of the 20th century. The Vatican Television Center, in partnership with Sky, presents an unprecedented event in 3D, televised on Sky and distributed to cinemas around the world by Nexo Digital. It will be like being there, thanks to the force of the 3D pictures. The canonization ceremony of Pope John XXIII and Pope John Paul II in 3D, officiated by Pope Francis Sunday the 27th of April in cinemas around the world in 3D with free admittance. Well, I'm glad at least, Tom, it's free. I, at least it doesn't come with the strings attached like with the Antichrist. You're going to die if you don't show up. Whoa. Now, what's going on? You've got to put this together. We see in our lifetime a world religious event is being broadcast by a world religious leader in Rome in 3D for the whole world to partake in at the same time. I like what one guy said this. He says, could it be that we're seeing the Vatican testing the actual equipment that will be used for the Antichrist arrival? Interesting. Oh, by the way, they just came out with another technology. It's called the Leia display. Probably you uh, Star Wars fans. That's, it's literally named after Princess Leia. And uh, uh, it can beam 3D holographic images literally into thin air. And they beam it on a cloud of water vapor. Check it out yourself. Okay, the Leia display. And so I got to think, well, hey, if the Antichrist really wants to make a big splash around the world, then maybe he can use that technology to shoot an image of himself up into the sky in the clouds, so the whole world could see him simultaneously and worship him. It's all coming together, folks, in our lifetime. We're getting that close, okay? But maybe the Antichrist wants to make it a more personal approach uh, with his image. I mean, you're supposed to worship him. Worship is a private thing, right? It's a choice, okay? And so maybe, listen, follow with me on this one. Maybe we'll each have our own robot or statue kind of thing or with, 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 its, with his image on it, or, or maybe we'll have these robot slash statue things with his image on it stationed around the world in public places to ensure when the bells go off, so to speak, you're there at the appropriate time to worship him like you're supposed to. Now, if you think that's crazy, believe it or not, folks, it's like he's covering all the bases. Maybe he's going to use the, uh, all of them together. But we now have that technology. They're called Sosibots. And Sosibots listen, can not only interact with you intelligently, in real time, carry on a conversation, monitor your mood as you're looking at it, but you can customize them with any face you want to put on them, which of course would include the Antichrist. Check this out. This disembodied robot can identify you in a crowd, mimic human emotions, and follow you around the room with its eyes. Plus, it's programmable to display any face, even your own. Expressions and features are easy to modify and control. With voice recognition, facial tracking, lip syncing, and speech synthesis in more than 20 languages, anyone can converse freely with our chattiest robot. 
while Sasebot has applications at airports, malls, science museums, and theme parks, Engineer Darts hopes potential clients will see its possibilities as the ultimate telepresence device thanks to its ability to recognize people and their moods, as well as convey subtle human-like expressions using any face the client wants to program it to display. What is that, uh, socio-bot? <laughs> I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, that is really... Oh, it's Hannibal Lecter, isn't it? Oh, oh, hey, hey, we're out here in public. It's switched to the Antichrist. Hey, Bob, better start worshipping him or he's going to kill us. Just like that, you can change the image. And did you catch all the features on this robot? Uh, it can only have any face and image you want, that's a given, but it can recognize your face, it could follow you around the room, listen, it could detect even what kind of mood you're in, you know, in case you're trying to fake the worship. It could give an order to say, you failed, you're dead. And where do they want to put them? They want to put them in homes and malls and airports and banks. Hey, I, I, I wonder if you're going to have to worship the Sociobot's image in order to take money out of the bank to buy and sell. Now, what's really weird about this as we close is it sounds eerily similar to what the early church went through with Caesar worship. Okay, They had to make a public acknowledgement of worship of a man, his statue, Caesar, and say that he was God or you were going to die. Caesar worship was made almost universal, was made universal and compulsory in the early church for every race and nation in the empire except for the Jews. On a certain day in the year, every Roman citizen had to come to the temple of Caesar, had to burn a penchant of incense to Caesar, his statue or image, okay, and say the words, Caesar is Lord. And when a person did that, in public, he was given a certificate to guarantee that he had done so and he could continue on living out comfortably as a Roman citizen with all of its benefits. Now listen to this. Those that didn't were sentenced to die. They were tortured. They became food for the lions. And guess who that was? The Christians who refused to do that. It's almost like it's being repeated. So here's my point. For the first time in mankind's history, we got all the bases covered when it comes to the image of the Antichrist. Whether it's the image of the Antichrist on a global scale, making it a global religious announcement or event, even in the sky, even in 3D, we got that. Or maybe it's more personal with a public statue, image, slash robot thing that comes around or is stationed around throughout the world in public places to ensure that if you worship it correctly and it can tell, you can continue on buying and selling. But if you don't, he'll give the order and you will die. This isn't science fiction 50 years from now. It's already here. And if this takes place during the seven-year tribulation, then how much closer is the rapture of the church which takes place prior? Amen? Folks, we are getting that close. And that's why I believe out of love, God's once again given us these signs. Okay, in our final countdown study, specifically these updates on the Jewish people and the Antichrist to show us that the tribulation is near. 
We better get motivated, and if we're not saved, we better make sure we are. And this is why Jesus said this. He said, Luke 21, 28, when these things begin to take place, what do you do? Run for the hills and freak out? Are you kidding me, Christian? Jesus Christ is coming back to get us. This is a sign he's coming back to get us. So you need to stand up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And so again, as always, the point is this, folks. If you're here today as a Christian, and you're not doing anything for Jesus, after all that he's done for you, shame on you. This is the one time, the short time that we need to get busy working together, being used of him to hopefully and prayerfully do something for him to say, thank you. Thank you for saving me from hell. But if you're here and you're not a Christian, you are going to hell. If you don't accept Jesus as your savior. And so I invite you to heed these warnings, heed these signs before it's too late. In fact, Jesus, he even gives a second warning. He says, unfortunately, most people aren't going to listen on the planet. Did you know that? Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. This is what Jesus said. It's a challenge from him. He said this, enter through the what? Narrow gate. Why? Because wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, the bulk of the planet. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And how many? Only a few find it. So according to Jesus, unfortunately, the bulk of the planet is not going to listen to him. It's not going to listen to these signs. They are going to wait, unfortunately, until it's too late, and they're going to be catapulted into the seven-year uh, tribulation to their own destruction. They're going to continue on this broad road that leads to destruction. They're going to think maybe what some people think today. Hey, I go to church services. I must be a Christian. Hey, I try to be a good person. I must be a Christian. I had some water splashed on me one time. I must be a Christian. That's the broad road that leads to destruction. Jesus said there's only going to be a few that escape that lie and truly surrender to him so as to escape going to hell. We'll close in prayer after this. There is no hope. This generation will fill hell quicker than any other generation we're so corrupt unless God in mercy fills us. When he speaks about few finding eternal life, he's talking about those, those who profess his name. Among those who call Jesus Lord, few of them will find eternal life. Nobody purposes to go to hell. They all think to get right with God before the end. And most men make shipwreck. Few there be that find it. You mean all those many people, they just lived a life all hell-bent, they, they wanted to go to hell, expected to go to hell, then don't expect to go to hell. And most go. Because we already know these people consider themselves disciples, and they call Jesus Lord, Lord. But their life is not marked by the will of God. And so to sum this up, this is what's being said. Depart from me. Those of you who considered yourself my disciples and even emphatically declared me to be Lord, but you did not commune with me and you lived as though I never gave you a law to obey. I just described American Christianity. Even though they said, Lord, Lord, we did many mighty works in your name and went to church every Sunday. He dismisses them as evildoers because they did not have the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. It also means 
that there are many church-going people who believe that they are saved because they once prayed to receive Jesus, not realizing that the proof of the genuineness of that prayer is perseverance in faith and holiness. He who endures to the end will be saved, not those who endure halfway to the end and then abort. I believe my ministry would be a failure if you came to this church five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and then went to hell for all eternity. And I would agree. I'm not here to cast out, but I'll tell you one thing. You can get all kind of things wrong in life, but don't get wrong. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. 
Listen to me like you've never listened to me, ever in your life. We have got to lay our lives down for the purposes of God. This is not a Sunday school picnic, the Church of Jesus Christ. This is not an invitation to have continuous good times. This is a war for the souls of men. Come out from among them. Run for your life. Because this is about your life. It's not just about an opposing theology or conflicting viewpoint on Jesus. This is about your life. My mind is forever branded with the story that I heard of police officers from the city of New York. As, as people were fleeing from a crumbling building, there were police officers and firemen and others that were running towards the building saying, run for your life at their own peril. And in some cases, I believe they knew they were going to die, but there was a sense of duty. I was crying out to God. I said, God, oh, Jesus, don't let my sense of duty be less for your kingdom than these beloved firemen and policemen were for those that are perishing in the falling tower. We're living in a generation when truth is falling into the streets. I want to be among those that are not running away from the conflict, but running into the conflict and say, run for your life. Run from Gospels that focus only on success and prosperity. Run! Run from those who use the name of Christ only for his personal gain. Run from those that are picking your pocket in the name of Jesus. Run! Run from Gospels that only focus on self-improvement. Run! Run from churches where men and not Christ are glorified. Run! Run! Body of Christ, run! Get out! Don't touch the unclean thing. Run from churches in America and Canada where there is no Bible. There's no cross in the theology. There's no soul-searching word. There's no repentance from sin. There's no mention of the blood of Jesus. Run! It's unclean! Run! Run from churches where you're comfortable in your sins. If you come into the house of God and you've got sin in your life and you're not convicted of it, you're at a table of devils. Run from pulpits that are filled with political men who are using the pulpit of God for a personal political agenda. Run! Run from those who preach division between races and cultures. Run! Run! Get out! Turn it off! Get away from it! They know nothing of God. Run from ungodly, spasmodic movements 
and endless empty prophesying. Beloved church, run for your life. Run from preachers that stand and tell stories and jokes. Run like you've never run before. Run! 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 If I were the devil, if I were the devil, if I were the prince of darkness, I'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness, and I'd have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population, but I wouldn't be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree, the... So I'd set about, however necessary, to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve. Do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square. And the old, I would teach to pray after me, our Father which art in Washington. And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors in how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves, until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect to discipline emotions, just let those run wild. Until before you knew it, you'd have to have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing. I'd have judges promoting pornography. Soon I could evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse, and then from the houses of Congress. And in his own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbol of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who wanted until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious. And what'll you bet? I couldn't get whole states to promote gambling as the way to get rich. I would caution against extremes in hard work, in patriotism, in moral conduct. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, that what you see on TV is the way to be. And thus I could undress you in public, and I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. Paul Harvey. Good day. Amen. All right, check this out. One day this uh, lady was out golfing, and it wasn't you, Marianne. Just wanted to clarify. Okay, it was another lady. And she was out golfing, and she hit this ball into the woods, and so she went into the woods to look for it, right? Well, when she went there, uh, Carol, she, she found this frog in a trap, right? And, and believe it or not, the frog actually said to her, says, excuse me, ma'am, if you would release me from this trap, I'm going to grant you three wishes. 
So the woman, she's out there. She's freed the frog out of this trap. And so the frog said, oh, man, thank you so much. But I, I failed to mention there was a condition to your wishes. Uh, you see, whatever you wish for, your husband is going to get times 10. Yeah. So the woman said, well, that's okay. That's okay. And so for her first wish, she wanted to be the most beautiful woman in the world, right? And the frog warned her, well, wait a second, you do realize that this will also make your husband the most handsome man in the world. He's going to be this Adonis to whom women will flock to. And the woman said, well, that's okay, because I'll be the most beautiful woman in the world, and he'll have only eyes for me. So boom, she was the most beautiful woman in the world. Well, for her second wish, she wanted to be the most richest woman in the world. And the frog said, well, okay, okay, but listen, that's going to make your husband the richest man in the world. He's going to be 10 times richer than you. And so the woman said, well, that's okay, because, you know, what's mine is his, and what's his is mine. So boom, she was the richest woman in the world. Well, finally, the frog asked her about her third wish, and she said this. She says, I think, um, I think for my third wish, I'd like to have a mild heart attack. Yeah. Took a little bit, but you got it. Okay. And the moral of the story, for those of you who didn't get it, is women are clever. Don't mess with them. Okay. And men, the very fact that the ladies clapped over that means we're in trouble. Okay. Is the big issue there. But, but believe it or not, as troubling as that is. <laughs> okay. Uh, did you know that I've actually come across something even more troubling than that? It's a real life scenario that's going to happen one day. And it goes like this. You wake up one day only to discover that millions of people all across the planet have suddenly disappeared, even your Christian family. But you didn't. And to your horror, you discovered, oh no, you have been left behind. And you're going to be catapulted into the seven-year tribulation. And hello, that's not a joke. Folks, we've seen many times before, the Bible is very clear, the seven-year tribulation is an outpouring of God's wrath on a wicked and rebellious planet. Jesus Christ himself said, listen, that time is going to be the greatest time of horror that humanity has ever faced or ever will face, and that unless God did shorten that time frame, the entire human race would be destroyed. But praise God, God's not just a God of wrath, He's a God of love as well. And because He loves you and I, folks, He's given us so many warning signs to know when the tribulation is near and when you better get motivated for the rapture, you don't want to miss it, okay? And that's why we're going to continue uh, to uh, look at our final countdown update, okay, to keep you and I here at Sunrise from experiencing the ultimate bad day of being left behind, even worse than messing around with women and frogs, believe it or not as serious as that was, okay? And if you were here last time, we saw the first two updates was uh, on the final countdown update was the Jewish people and the Antichrist, okay? If you recall, and there we saw that the Jewish people really literally are on the verge of building that last day's temple. Why is that significant? Because that's the actual temple that the actual Antichrist is actually going to go up into and declare himself to be God. It's that close. And then we saw, sadly, how the Antichrist is not going to have Apparently much trouble slaughtering two-thirds of the Jewish people. Yes, unfortunately, another Holocaust is coming. Okay, two-thirds of the Jewish people, like Zechariah says, because right now as we sit here, there's a massive global hatred towards the Jews like never before, even after, after World War II. It's coming back. And then finally, we saw we have the technology for people to worship the Antichrist image all over the world in public. Okay, It even has the ability to speak back to them and give out an order to kill somebody if they don't worship them. All that's right here, which means we're living in the last days. We don't know the day nor the hour, but man, it is getting close. But that's not all. The third update I wanted to hit on the final countdown study is none other than modern technology. You talk about God and his sense of humor and obviously encouragement. Modern technology, and it just happens to be the week we got all this stuff. What? 
It's almost like God's mapping this thing out for us. What do you guys think? Sure. Thanks, Tom, for that vote of confidence. The rest of you, I'll keep praying for you. But no, seriously, modern technology, folks, it's not just huge for BBS. Modern technology, all these gadgets, all these things that we do, the information, just go on the internet and surf. The fact that we even say that, we're immersed in it and we have no clue. That's one of the biggest signs during the last days. But don't take my word for it. Let's listen to God. So open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. And at the end of the book of Daniel there. Daniel, of course, was written by... Daniel, you guys are on the ball. Daniel chapter 12, the very uh, last chapter there in this uh, fantastic book, the book of Daniel. And it clearly is talking about the end times. He's going to talk about what God's going to do in the opening part here of the Jewish people. Maybe we'll get into that some other time. But then he's going to give Daniel a couple signs to indicate how do you know you're in the last days, the end of days. Okay, let's take a look at what those aspects are. Daniel chapter 12, when you get there, say move. All right, that's a good enough consensus for me. Let's start. At that time, he says, at the end of times, at that time, Michael, the archangel, the great prince who protects your people will arise. Now, there's going to be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book will be what? Delivered. Multitudes to sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, close up and seal the words of the scroll until what? The time of the end. Well, how do I know I'm getting close to that? Because many will go here and there and what? Increase knowledge. Okay, is what he says there. Now, again, this is the classic passage we've seen before. Daniel gives a couple indicators of how do we know we're in the end of times, the last days, whatever you want to call it. Okay, he starts off there. Notice the activity of the archangel Michael. We talked about this before. Unfortunately, as we saw last time, the Antichrist is going to slaughter two thirds of the Jewish people. John picks up on what Daniel seals up here in the book of Revelation. And he says the archangel Michael, Revelation 12, is going to sovereignly protect him. So that's what he's talking about there. Okay. But he also mentions a couple other things. He says people, and it's on a global scale, the end of times, people are going to be traveling here and there all over the earth, and there's going to be an explosion of knowledge, right? And so here's the point for you and I here today. Can anybody guess what in the world is happening right now all over the world? <laughs> Both of these, man, we're traveling all over the earth like never before in the history of mankind. And knowledge, as we're going to see, is getting out of control. It's growing exponentially, which means this passage has the potential of being fulfilled right now before our very eyes. According to the book of Daniel and what we see in our society, we are living in the end of times. And the first way that modern technology reveals this is what he talked about there first, the increase of travel. The increase of travel. And again, as we saw before, when Daniel writes down the words of this prophecy, okay, the mode of travel was basically the same for mankind for thousands of years. right? I mean, it stayed the same. It's only in the last century that we see a major change in the mode of transportation. Mankind for thousands of years, about the fast that we could travel was about 30 miles an hour on horseback. And it didn't change. From Adam to Alexander the Great to Abraham Lincoln, it was pretty much, that's your fastest mode of travel. It was a horse. But in our lifetime, in the last century alone, we have gone from the horse to the horseless carriage, the car, right? And we have gone from a top speed to 30 miles an hour to hundreds of miles an hour. 
especially here in Vegas. Have you been there on the traffic? Well, these people, no, but, well, actually, yes. But anyway, in just a few decades, what's going on in our lifetime? We rush here and there on an average of, listen, 15,000 miles a year. Last time we talked about this, it was at 14. It's now gone up. And we used to have an estimated 1 billion cars traveling here and there all over the planet. By 2025, we've already surpassed that. Since the last time, we've already surpassed it, and now they're estimating it's going to be 1.7 billion cars on the road by 2035. It's speeding up. Everybody wants to rush here and there, like Daniel said, okay? And then, believe it or not, everybody's going to get in on this action. You might think there's certain people who can't drive a car. Uh-uh, not anymore. Thanks to modern technology, pretty soon we're not even going to have to drive our own car. Everybody on the planet can rush here and there exactly like Daniel said they would be, thanks to Google. Google comes to the rescue. Watch this car. This is wild. Good morning, Steve. Hey, Nathaniel. How are you? We're just great. Go ahead, Steve. Auto driving. There we go. Here we go. <laughs> Look, Ma, no hands. <laughs> no hands anywhere. No hands, no feet. No hands, no feet. No nothing. <laughs> I love it. So we're here at the stop sign. Yep. The car's using the radars and laser to, to check and make sure there's nothing coming either way. I find myself looking. Old habits die hard, man. Hey, hey, they don't die. Hey, anybody up for a taco? Yeah, yeah. What do you want? What do you want to do today, Steve? I'm, I'm all for tacos all myself. All right. Well, let's go get a taco at the drive-through. Now we're turning into the parking lot. How? Go. Now they kind of creep along here. Does anybody have any money? I've got money. No, I've got my wallet right here. <laughs> you roll down your window and order a burrito. Yeah, for sure. I'm doing very well. How are you today? There's some places that you cannot go. There's some things that you really cannot do. Where this would change my life is to give me the independence and the flexibility to go the places I both want to go and need to go. Man, those guys are getting involved in everything. Interesting. Isn't that wild? I mean, can you imagine if every one of us got one of those driverless cars from Google? I mean, we could go back to using our cell phones. We could text, right? We could eat that taco and do all that at the same time and be legal. I mean, that keeps going out. Everybody's going to want one of these driverless vehicles, right? And what did Daniel say? In the last days, you're going to see people rushing here and there, anywhere we want, anytime we want, all over the planet, including that guy, by the way, who is legally blind. Everybody can now rush here and there. But that's just transportation on the land, thanks to the invention of the airplane, which again occurred in the last century. Uh, our world has become a much smaller place. We can now not only drive basically anywhere we want, anytime we want, and anybody can now get in on the action, 
Okay, but we can fly anywhere we want, pretty much anywhere we want, anywhere in the world. And it's getting so advanced, folks, with modern technology that for the first time in mankind's history, we now have the ability to fly out of this world. We saw before how uh, Virgin Airlines has now launched Virgin Galactic, and so that the average Joe can now fly into space. In fact, they just finished their first actual test flight. Pretty soon, you can go into space. Check this out. Now, I know what you're thinking, John. You're thinking, man, if I could just get one of those on my truck, I'd make it down to L.A., get that Bugogi stuff, and record time. That's right, but you're missing my point. That's not what I'm bringing this up. But okay. Folks, this isn't make-believe. This is actually going on right now. Can you believe the days that we live in, and it's growing exponentially? We now have the ability, we're pretty soon, if you will, the average Joe, you and I can fly into space. Just like we're talking, you know, cash. There wasn't big cash right now, but... I think if they continue on, just like anything else, starts out expensive, it comes down eventually as the technology grows. But okay, but that's still all. For those of you who want to go even further, then Virgin Galactic can take you. That's right. Uh, for the first time in mankind's history, we now have people getting the average Joe to Mars. I'm not making this up, folks. This is a brand new technology. They call it the Vassimer rocket. And no, John, you don't want one of these. Okay. And this technology, I'm going to share with you the interview from the inventor. He says this technology, for years we've been stuck at how do we get people to Mars? Uh, we're not going to be able to, you know, their bones are going to decay because they're in space for too long. They've now reduced that time from a matter of two years to just a matter of days with this new rocket. It's called the Vassimer rocket. Let's take a look. Hello. My name is Franklin Chang Diaz. I am a physicist and an engineer. I was also a NASA astronaut for 25 years and had the opportunity to fly on seven space shuttle missions. We are developing a new type of rocket engine. We call it the Vassimer engine. And it is a rocket like no other rocket that you might have seen in the past. It is a plasma rocket. There are six basic missions that we are currently considering for the use of the technology. These are asteroid retrieval, orbital debris mitigation, space station reboost, 
lunar cargo, deep space, and asteroid deflection. Our goal, we intend to use our technology to transform space transportation. Which includes, in our lifetime, being able to get a person, if you wanted to, to Mars in a matter of days. These are the days we're living in. Okay, and this is occurring when, folks? Right now, and it's escalating, and it's all happening in our lifetime. And here's the significance. What did Daniel say? When you see people rushing here and there, whenever they want, wherever they want, all over the world, even out of the world, hey, it's not just cool. It's a sign you're living in the last days, and you need to get motivated. The second uh, way that modern technology reveals we're living in the last days is once again what's going on with this passage dealing with the death of the two witnesses. This is absolutely, I couldn't wait to share this. This is amazing, man. Revelation talks about this, obviously, uh, in uh, chapter 11, verse 11 through 9, says this, and I will give power to my two witnesses, and they're going to prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth, half the seven-year tribulation. All right. These are the two olive trees and lampstands, the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth, given witness to him. Now, if anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. How many guys would say you want to be for their friend? And that's still a good lesson. Right. And this is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. Not only that, these men also from God have been given power to shut up the sky so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. And they have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Wow. Now, when they finish their testimony, the beast or the Antichrist that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. So when they're done doing what God called them to do, he's going to take them home. God will allow this to occur. Okay, but listen to what happens. Now, their bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. So what city is that? Jerusalem, obviously, is where it's going to take place. For three and a half days, men from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse these guys' burial. Okay. Now, what's going on with this text is pretty amazing, and if we're going to get the prophetic significance of what it has to do with you and I, we have to once again take a look at the historical setting. Imagine what it must have been like for the Apostle John. He's writing this vision down nearly 2,000 years ago. And so in his shoes, it must have seemed like some sort of incredible fantasy for the whole planet to simultaneously watch uh, two dead guys and rejoice over their uh, death, right? That's what the text says, okay? But for you and I, guess what? That's not fantasy. That's everyday life. Pick your event, sporting event, major event, political event. What do we do? Every day around the world, this is common knowledge in our lifetime. We could watch anything we want anywhere around the planet. Due to the advent of television, global satellite technology, we watch whatever we want on a global scale, which means, guess what? There's nothing left for this passage to take place. There's nothing that has to come on the planet, on the scene, in order for this event to come to pass. And if that happens during the seven-year tribulation, then how much closer is the rapture of the church which takes place prior? We have the technology to pull this off, but that's not all. The text there says one more thing. The whole planet not only watched this whole event, which we can do right now, okay, but it clearly said they did one more thing. Let's take a look now at the next verse, Revelation 11, verse 10. Here's the second action step. They watched their bodies and they did this. Verse 10, the inhabitants of the earth will then gloat over them and will what? 
celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. They tormented them. You know, the preachers of righteousness. That sounds like today, you preach righteousness and people, oh, you're tormenting me. That's the level of wickedness uh, that we're getting to. But again, what's amazing about this action step, they not only watch their bodies, but this action step, put it again, again, 2,000 years ago in John's shoes, okay? This must have totally blown his mind. Not only how in the world could the whole planet watch two dead bodies for three and a half days around the world, but he says right here, how in the world are they going to be able to celebrate and send each other gifts from around the world, and it has to get there within three and a half days because that's the context, right? Well, folks, you and I, once again, that's common sense. For the first time in mankind's history, we have a global distribution network. It's never been here before. Thanks to modern technology, we have a global transportation system that's hooked up to a global communication system that's linked to a global supply chain system that's overseen by a global trade commerce system that allows us to go down, as we saw before, to get fresh crab meat shipped to us from Thailand. We can have a thoroughbred horse shipped to us from New Zealand. We can get fresh flowers shipped to us from South America. We can get a New York City-style a pizza delivered anywhere. We can send a package from Japan in the afternoon, have it in Washington, D.C. the next morning, including for the first time in mankind's history, a celebratory package sent by anywhere, anyone on the planet, make it to the destination within three and a half days. Now, here's what's wild. We talked about that before. But they're working on technology, folks, to get it there way less than three and a half days. This just came out, okay? Believe it or not, Amazon and eBay are looking at offering its customers same-day delivery with a fleet of drones. And I quote, next year, behemoths like Amazon and eBay will be stepping up their efforts to deliver goods on the same day they're bought, even if that day is a Sunday. Eventually, Amazon's founder, Jeff Bezos, Bezos, however you pronounce it, envisions unmanned drones bringing products to our doors within a half an hour of purchase. In the meantime, he's increasing his number of warehouses and overhauling his partnerships with couriers to get us what we want as quickly as possible, including a celebratory gift over the death of two witnesses. Here's the actual demo vid uh, video. This is how we're going to get stuff real soon. Watch this. This is wild. Wow. Now, man, don't laugh too heartily at this one, but you know, as men, we know this is true. 
Praise God, we'll never get in trouble for forgetting our wife's anniversary again, man. Hey, woo! 30 minutes, I'm hiding out in the computer room. Yeah, again, you're in trouble with those of you laugh. But why? why? <laughs> Can you believe this? This isn't make-believe. This is what's coming. This is what they're actually working on. And I got to thinking about this, and I'm not going to say, thus saith the Lord or anything of that nature, okay? But, but did we just actually see, for the first time in mankind's history, the actual delivery service that people will actually use to send that celebratory gift to anybody across the planet over the death of two witnesses? Very well could be. It's getting that close. In fact, it's escalating. They're also working on a new technology, another new technology. Uh, it's called 3D printing. Ever heard of that? And part of their plans is they want everybody to have one of these in their home and so that when you purchase custom, something, just like George Jetson, it'll print it up in your own house or somebody else's house you bought it for, just like that. Let's take a look at that technology. And believe it or not, the prices will come down pretty soon. You and I, everybody can have one of these. Let's take a look at that. See this paper right here? Well, this is what you think of when you think of traditional printing. Well, we went to a fair where 2D printing was a thing of the past. 3D printers read blueprints of an object that users download to a computer. So here's the one getting a lot of attention. It's called Form 1. It's a 3D printer that raised over a million dollars in three days on a crowdfunding site called Kickstarter. The thing that people are excited about with the Form 1, the detail. The technology that we're using really allows us to get much higher resolution. The Form 1 uses a different process than most 3D printers light as opposed to heat to harden plastic, tech that was previously too costly. The printer builds support structures around detailed shapes that users can break off after it dries. Similar to the way that people do desktop publishing now, you know, people are going to be designing things and printing them. Here's a sign that 3D printing may be becoming mainstream. MakerBot opened up a retail store just recently here in New York City devoted to selling those printers. Being able to go into a retail store and see it in action and touch the things yeah. that it can make, it really opens up people's minds to the possibilities. MakerBot just released its Replicator 2. It's a faster model that produces higher resolution products. Industrial 3D printers have been around for decades. They've been used for everything from printing prosthetic limbs to food. Interesting. Now, men, not to sidetrack you again, but honey, get out of that room. Come out of there. I know you forgot my anniversary. No, I didn't, honey. Just waiting for something to print. Be right there. Love you. <laughs> Can you imagine? Hey, food? Hey, I wonder if that might be one of the celebratory gifts that will send somebody a cake over the death of two witnesses. It's all here now. And Daniel said, whenever you see people having this ability to gloat over two dead bodies simultaneously anywhere in the world and sing gifts to anybody anywhere in the world within three and a half days, then we've got it way less than that now. He said, you better wake up. That's a sign. You're living in the last days. But that's not all. The third way modern technology shows us we are living in the last days is this increase of knowledge. That was just to travel. Daniel talks about that second aspect. Let's take a look at that verse again. Daniel chapter 12, verse 4. But you, Daniel, close up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Here's your two signs again. Many will go here and there. Boy, we see that, don't we? And to increase knowledge is what he says there, okay? And again, when Daniel writes the words of this prophecy, you got to put it back in his shoes. The amount of retrieving and sending information, acquiring information, was severely limited compared to what it is today. 
Just a few centuries ago, you had the birth of the printing press, which was a major thing. Okay, but look at us today, folks. In our lifetime, uh, information is exploding. Let me give, uh, give you a couple of those stats to recall uh, your memory. Memory, a, a weekday edition of any major newspaper today has more information than the average person living in the 17th century would have come across their entire lifetime. And thanks to the internet, what do we got? We don't have just one newspaper. We got thousands of newspapers all at our fingertips, okay? There's over, last time we talked about it, it was 30 billion. Now there's over 100 billion searches for information every month on Google. If Facebook were a country, it'd be the third largest country on the planet. And it is estimated there's going to be a four exabytes, I don't even know how big that is, four exabytes of unique information generated this year alone, which is more than the previous 5,000 years. It's escalating, exactly like Daniel said, okay? And as we saw before, it's leading to a serious danger that they've actually coined, and they call it singularity. And this is the term used to describe where the technology and the information is growing so fast, so exponentially, so that it exceeds any human intelligence, and it starts to take over, okay, it spawns a, a different kind of intelligence, and where, quote, listen, here's what they say, the human era will be ended, and machines will take over the planet. Hollywood has done a great job in educating us for the future they're creating for us. Remember the Terminator movies? That's not just a movie, folks. That's reality. And the experts are saying um, it's coming real soon, whether you believe it or not. Watch what these guys say. Humans have had a genuine interest in artificial intelligence even before the term was coined in the 1950s. The modern concept is part of a tradition that extends through myth and legend all the way back to the ancient Greeks. It's been a source of hopes and fears dreams and nightmares. It's a robot. Will our creations be our allies or our mortal or immortal enemies? Until recently, it didn't really matter. The ability to create intelligent machines was impossibly out of reach. But Ray Kurzweil believes it's not only probable, but inevitable and coming sooner than you think. <laughs> The inventor and author has become the most outspoken prophet of the coming technological singularity. By the time we get to the 2040s, say 2045, we'll be able to multiply human intelligence a billion fold. That will be a profound change that's singular in nature, so we use this term. A label first used in 1993 by computer scientist and science fiction writer Werner Vinge. Vinji predicted that within 30 years, we would create a superhuman intelligence. And shortly after, the human era would be over. Hmm. You know the terminology that the Bible uses? Uh, it's called the time of the end, according to the prophet Daniel. Oh, and by the way, that Ray Kurzweil guy that he, he is, he's happened, he just happens to be one of the top dogs for Google, who is acquiring all this information. Interesting. And what Daniel says, he says, listen, when you not only see people traveling here and there, but you see this explosion of knowledge all over the world, even to the point where it threatens to take over the world. Google and all. It's a sign you're in the last days. The fourth and final one that we're going to deal with today that modern technology shows us we're living in the last days is, again, the death of the Antichrist, okay? All this explosion of information, all this explosion of technology, even this printing technology, Folks, it's not by chance. God saw it all, okay? He predicted it 2,000 plus years ago. 
Okay, depending on Old or New Testament. It's all going to be incorporated to fulfill what I believe is this passage of Scripture, Revelation 13, dealing with the death of the Antichrist. Let's take a look at that. Verse 2 through 4. The dragon, Satan, gave the beast, the Antichrist, his power and his throne and great authority. Now, one of the heads of the beast, the Antichrist, seemed to have had a what? Fatal wound. But, whoa, out of the blue, the, 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 the fatal wound had been healed. Well, because of that, the whole world was astonished, and they followed the beast, the Antichrist. Men worshipped the dragon, Satan, because he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshipped the beast and said, Man, who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? In other words, Crone translation, I mean, this guy is seemingly invincible. I mean, you kill him, he gets this seemingly this, this, this fatal head wound, and all of a sudden he seemingly comes back to life. I mean, uh, who doesn't want to follow this guy? He's invincible. We'll worship him, is what he's talking about there. And so the question for you and I here today, how do we know we're getting close to the fulfillment of this passage of Scripture? Certainly the two witnesses, that's easy. But what about this one? Do we see any technology on the planet right now that can give the appearance, if you will, of somebody coming back to life, including the Antichrist? Uh, yeah. In fact, folks, for the first time in mankind's history, we not only have the technology for somebody to seemingly come back to life, to give the appearance of them coming back to life, but we have the ability to print new body parts for them Right on the spot. Including maybe a portion of his head that had a wound. You see, this is the other side of 3D printers that they're working on. Watch this. This is wild. It may be the most eye-catching development in printing since Gutenberg invented the printing press 600 years ago. A machine that can make copies of almost anything. But this time, in 3D. It seems like science fiction, but 3D printing is already in use. Building hearing aids, jewelry, even parts for NASA. Now the technology is becoming available to anyone, meaning you can turn your garage into a small factory. So what would you build if you could create anything? Have a look. What you're watching is an ear being printed. Layer upon layer, tiny droplets are deposited building up the structure. So this is someone's ear. This would uh, be printed to be someone's ear. Oh my goodness. The project is a type of 3D printing called bioprinting, led by Dr. Anthony Atala at the Wake Forest Institute for Regenerative Medicine in North Carolina. Same technology you have at your very own home, but instead of printing sheets of paper with ink, you're actually printing tissues with cells. The premise is simple. Send a scanned image of a body part to the printer and the machine starts building. Ears, noses, fingers. Dr. Atala's goal is to transplant the parts directly into patients. Which, according to the Bible, very well could include the Antichrist, certainly if he's gonna need this new body part from some sort of a head wound. Maybe a ear's just going to be one of the things they print out for them and any other organ for that matter. Folks, these are the days that we live in. For the first time in mankind's history, we can print body parts for people just in time for this fatal head wound of the Antichrist. Okay? But speaking of uh, uh, fatal wounds, we don't have the technology to make body parts so people to come back to life, if you will. Okay? But for the first time in mankind's history, we have a movement out there that is promoting this, and much more we'll see in a second. It's called transhumanism. And these people want to bring people back from the dead, literally, to achieve a so-called man-made immortality. And as wild as that is, you think, oh, they're never going to do this. This is nuts. 
No, folks, this is like Frankenstein reality right now. These people are dead serious. So much so, folks, listen, that they have already got, I'm not making this up, they have already got FDA approval right now for human suspended animation trials to preserve somebody's body when it dies so they can, you know, print another one up, clone one up, whatever, okay? They're that serious about it. But their ultimate goal is to preserve the human brain and transform it, hence transhumanism, into a computer, listen, image. Anybody else can have an image we know about in the Bible? Antichrist. A computer image inside of a computer to seemingly extend their lives forever. Hollywood just came out with a fantastic propaganda film promoting this technology, and it's not make-believe, okay? It was that movie that with Johnny Depp called Transcendence. That's all about transhumanism. That's not make-believe, folks. That's reality. That's what these guys are working on. In fact, they're so serious about it, they have already produced, with this exponential growth of knowledge, how soon they're going to be able to pull it off to create somebody's existence into an image and have them live forever. Watch this. 2013 to 2014, new centers working on cybernetic technologies for the development of radical life extension rise. The race for immortality starts. 2015 to 2020, the avatar is created. A robotic human copy controlled by thought via brain-computer interface. It becomes as popular as a car. In Russia and in the world appear, in testing mode, several breakthrough projects. Android robots to replace people in manufacturing tasks. Android robot servants for every home. Thought-controlled avatars to provide telepresence in any place of the world and abolish the need for business trips. Flying cars. Thought-driven mobile communications built into the body or sprayed onto the skin. 2020 to 2025, an autonomous system providing life support for the brain and allowing it interaction with the environment is created. The brain is transplanted into an Avatar B. With Avatar B, man receives new, expanded life. 2025, the new generation of Avatars provides complete transmission of sensations from all five sensory robot organs to the operator. 2030 to 2035, ReBrain. The colossal project of brain reverse engineering is implemented. World science comes very close to understanding the principles of consciousness. 2035, the first successful attempt to transfer one's personality to an alternative carrier. The epoch of cybernetic immortality begins. 2040 to 2050, bodies made of nanorobots that can take any shape arise alongside hologram bodies. The main priority of his development is spiritual self-improvement. A new era dawns. The era of neo-humanity. Or a new humanity. With modern technology, did you notice it's a spiritual issue and these people want to take modern technology so that they can be their own god and all this here with this image and all this stuff, it's all there just in time for what john wrote two thousand years ago for this if you will resurrection of the antichrist and worshiping of his image who by the way he also declares to say what i am god worship me
okay? Unless you think these people aren't serious, they're deadly serious. I'm going to just real quickly as we close. Dr. Richard Seed, he's a transhumanist. He basically said this. You guys don't like this? Does this freak you out? Too stinking bad. You mess with us. You try to stop with us. It's war. We'll take you out. Here's what he said. We are going to become gods. Period. If you don't like it, get off. You don't have to contribute. You don't have to participate. But if you're going to interfere with me becoming God, I'll have big trouble. Then we'll have warfare. In other words, you try to stop us from doing this, we're going to take you out. Now, to close, what's wild is what they want to do is to become God. They don't need God. They're going to become their own gods with all this technology. Now, what's interesting is this is the same old lie that Satan used to call cause the fall of mankind. Genesis chapter 3, verse 4 through 5. Serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, huh? Listen to Satan. Do it his way. You can live forever, right? For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. So according to the Bible, you see that at the beginning of creation, Satan caused the fall of mankind with the lie that you can be like God. And in the last days, he's doing the exact same lie and men are falling for it right now. Just in time for the Antichrist arrival and his seemingly coming back to life and declaring himself to be God. Isn't this wild? Folks, this isn't 50 years down the road. This is now. Which according to the Bible means we're living in the last days. And this is why I'm convinced out of love that God's given us this update on the final countdown study concerning modern technology to show us the tribulation's near. Guess what? Rapture's around the corner. Okay, that's good news. And that's why Jesus said, Luke 21, 28, when these things begin to take place, what do you do? Freak out, run to the hills? I'm sorry, wrong translation. Stand up, lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. And so if we're here today as Christians, what does that mean? This is our one shot to do something, hopefully for Jesus, out of love for him, not out of works. To say, thank you for saving me from hell. Is there anything you want me to do? You want me to come to vacation Bible school? You want me to bring a truckload of kids? You want me to help out teach these kids? You want me to pray with kids? What do you want me to do, Jesus? That's what we need to be about doing. But if you're here today, you're not a Christian. I'm just going to warn you out of love. You need to heed these signs. You need to heed these warnings. Do you realize that the bulk of the people on the planet has never had the privilege of having this exposed to them? But you know and you're accountable to what you just saw today. The point is this, you are going to live forever, but it's not going to be in a computer and it's not going to be in a man-made alternate body. It's going to be heaven or it's going to be hell. And if you continue to refuse to accept God's love and forgiveness through Jesus Christ, you are going to go to hell. No technology can save you from that reality. The only way out is through Jesus Christ. Accept Him today. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven, and that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness, or the wrong things that we have done, have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin, or unholiness, uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, 
the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay, the Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy, okay? And folks, let's be honest, we've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you, that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind, he knows the heart, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God, and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says, we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing 
and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail, and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact. They did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it and they can't earn it. If he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.